Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Monday. Oh, it's going to be an awesome week. It's going to end with a bang because we're going to be hosting Roll Call uh, this Saturday uh, here in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm, so I'm so excited about this week. We're going to bring you a great week of shows. And then we're going to get to Friday and Saturday of, of Roll Call and really nail this thing and inspire you this entire week. Uh, <clears throat> I'm excited about this week. I, I hope that you are as excited as I am. It it's, it's going down this weekend in Nashville, Tennessee, and so I'm just gonna try to be at my best all week. The team's gonna try to be at its best all week and deliver you great shows, and so we'll start today off uh, with a great topic. I'm going to go directly at Greg Popovich, uh, the San Antonio Spurs coach who said something incredibly stupid and did his little rant, and we're gonna bring Royce White in uh, to help me clown suit uh, Greg Popovich. We're going to ignore uh, John Hadley's insistence. We, we like the approval rating and bringing the audience in. We're not going to do it at the start of shows. We're going to do it at the end of shows. Not today, though, because I got this great topic with Popovich. It's going to take some time with Royce. And then we're going to bring Steve Kim on to talk some sports and a little bit about Popovich and OBJ signing with the Baltimore Ravens and some other stuff. we got an action-packed filled show with me, Royce, Steve Kim, and you. And you. And so I'm so glad you're here. And I'm so glad that I have a new sponsor to talk about. And I hate to even call this product a new sponsor. Because when they brought me this Pure Health Liver Health Formula, I was like, are you kidding me? I've been using this stuff for a year and a half. I've been, stuff, I hate to even call it that, but I've been using this product for a year and a half. You guys know that when, uh, you know, the COVID thing got me and Uncle Jimmy suffered COVID and, and I made a commitment to like exercise and change up my diet and lose some weight. And so this has been a part of my whole cleanse and journey, this pure health liver. And so they mailed me some free product. I'd already been purchasing the product, but they mailed me some and I say, oh my God, Pure Health Liver Health is gonna be one of our sponsors. And so today I get to talk about them and I'm excited. I don't know if all of our live reads are authentic, but when you've been using a product for 18 months and then you get to just talk about it, uh, I, I want to start, you know, just look, because, because the latest data from the American uh, Heart Association indicates that adults with fatty liver were three and a half times more likely to have heart failure than those without it. The American Liver Foundation says that 100 million Americans have fatty liver, which means many people are at risk. We throw everything at our livers, cholesterol, alcohol, toxins, Tylenol, statins, cigarettes. That's why so many of us have a sluggish, fatty liver that makes us gain weight and lose energy. For decades now, your liver helped you with over 500 key functions every day. 
it's time that you help your liver. There's a solution, Liver Health Formula, an all-natural supplement which contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver. Manufactured right here in the USA and approved by American doctors. So if you're looking to ignite your fat-burning metabolism, boost your energy, and transform how you look and feel, Try Liver Health Formula and receive a free bottle of blood sugar formula to reduce sugar cravings when you order today. Try Liver Health Formula by going to getliverhelp.com slash Jason. Getliverhelp.com slash Jason and claim your free bonus gift. That's getliverhelp.com slash Jason. You couldn't get a more authentic. This stuff is in my cabinets, has been for a solid 18 months. It's been a part of my journey uh, to get healthier, and it will remain a part of my journey. And now, you know, I get to pitch the product, and so they send it to me. <laughs> I get to save a little money as well. So uh, liver health, thank you so much. And I give all of you out there, that you may not be as big as me, but if you're struggling to get the weight off, if you're struggling to cleanse your body, liver health, health, it'll help you. All right, uh, let's get to our, oh, no, I'm sorry, before I get to my fire starter and entertain you all and provoke thought, uh, I need you to start slamming that like button right now. I'm telling you, this fire starter is worth 5,000 likes. Uh, I need you to get in the comments. I need you to hit the notification so you're getting alerted when this show starts. If you're listening over Apple, and, and guys, I got to tell you, it's like this Apple audience, I, I want to set a competition between the Apple audience and the YouTube audience and the Blaze TV audience or wh however you're consuming the show, but particularly Apple versus YouTube. I want a competition between you guys because the guys over at Apple, they're killing it. They're really helping me fight the algorithm. The people that are spamming us with one-star reviews, you guys have stepped up to the plate and started spamming back with five-star reviews that we deserve and earn. I need you to continue to do that. I just wanna thank you all for those of you that have taken the five seconds it takes, the three seconds it takes to hit that five-star review on Apple. Thank you, please continue to do that. Please continue to write in your reviews. This really helps fight the algorithm. Those of you that enjoy the show over YouTube and always want to get a look at your boy, uh, step up your game. Don't let the Apple guys outwork you. And it's not a whole bunch of work we're asking. Just hit that like button. Let's get to 5,000 likes. Let's make that standard on every show so we can start talking about seven and 8,000 likes. And let's hit the notifications. When you subscribe, make sure you're getting that notification that the show has started. Let's start building up our live concurrent viewers, let's continue to do the work to spread the this show and get it a bigger and bigger audience. That's your mission as a fearless soldier. My mission is to deliver you great fire starters, get the best out of these contributors and fearless soldiers that work with us. I'll do my job, you guys do yours. And by the way, I, last thing, and I'm gonna get to this fire starter, I, I apologize for, but I do have to take care of this. I've given Hadley strict instructions Tomorrow we are bringing on some audience members again to debate me about the approval app. I've told Hadley 
I believe the woman's name is Tennille. She watches over YouTube. I, I need Tennille on this show tomorrow, Hadley, uh, disputing the slander. I think the woman's name was Lauren last week that tried to say that Royce White and these other guys, Delano and Steve Kim, all these guys are the eye candy of the show. Uh, we need, I think, Tennille and there's a Connie. There's a few others th that will dispute this fact. I need them on the show for the approval rating app tomorrow, Hadley, or uh, no oatmeal uh, at breakfast tomorrow. All right, let's, let, let's start the show. Let's get the fire started. Uh, Sunday afternoon, during a rambling eight-minute pregame screed, San Antonio Spurs head coach Greg Popovich blasted Republican politicians for their reaction to the Nashville Covenant School massacre. Popovich claimed cowardice, cowardice and selfishness explained Republicans' resistance to so-called sensible gun control measures. Take a listen. You know, the greed of the gun lobbies and the manufacturers is obvious. We all know that. Money talks. But the cowardice and the selfishness of the legislators who are so scared to death of being primaried and losing their job, losing their power, losing their salary. You'd like to get each one of them in a room, just one by one and say, what's more important to you? If you could vote for some good gun safety laws that most of the public agrees to, would you do that if it saved one kid? Or is your job and your money so important to you that you would say, screw the kid. What's, what's in your mind? Popovich uh, then ripped, or earlier ripped, Josh Hawley, Jim Jordan, and Lindsey Graham by name. The legendary NBA coach and Texas resident mocked statements from Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn and Tennessee Governor Bill Lee after the shooting. Take a listen for yourself. I'm sure that, you know, people like Josh Hawley and the three people I mentioned here in Texas, I didn't mention their names, I mentioned their positions, or, you know, Lindsey Graham or Jim Jordan, whoever of them have kids or nieces or nephews or grandkids. Can they imagine that happening to theirs? Are they incapable of knowing what that's like? I mean, you know, I wrote, the, I, I couldn't believe it, so I wrote this thing down. But, Senator Marsha Blackburn, her, her comment after was after the massacre, my office is in contact with federal, state, and local officials, and we stand ready to assist. In what? They're dead. What are you gonna assist with? Cleaning up their brains off the wall? Wiping the blood off the schoolroom floor? What are you gonna assist with? And then, you, and then there's Governor Lee. And, you know, I'm sorry to go on and on, but Bill Lee, I'm closely monitoring the tragic situation. Please join us in prayer. What are you monitoring? They're dead. Children. They're dead. Quite a performance Pop put on. The assembled media swallowed his anti-gun propaganda without uttering a word of opposition. 
Popovich takes pride in smugly carrying himself as the smartest man inside any gymnasium. The media oblige. Pop isn't nearly as smart as he thinks. His illogic is just never challenged. He ducks intellectual competition. He's the schoolyard bully who always picks a fight with people half his size and skips school on the days he knows a legit challenger is looking to confront him. It's easy to sound smart and look tough when you know no one is going to swing back. Popovich called the Second Amendment and defenders of it a myth and a joke, a game. He ridiculed Texas Senator Ted Cruz for wanting to double law enforcement personnel at schools. Take a listen. When I pick up my six and 11 year old grandkids at school, when I'm here at home, on the way, it goes through my mind that I hope they're gonna be okay. And most of you in this room, when we were in school, we worried if Nancy would dance with us on Friday after the football game or something. That was, that was our anxiety. But they're gonna cloak all this stuff, you know, the, second, the myth of the Second Amendment, the freedom. You know, it's just, it's a myth, it's a joke. It's, it's just a game they play. I mean, that's freedom. Is it freedom for kids to go to school and try to socialize? and try to learn and be scared to death that they might die that day. But Ted Cruz will fix it because he's gonna double the number of cops in the schools. That's what he wants to do. Well, that'll create a great environment. Is that freedom? Or is it freedom to have a congressman who can make a postcard with all his family holding rifles, including an AR-15 or whatever? Is that cool? Is that like street cred for a Republican? That's freedom, that's more important than protecting the kids? I don't get it. Pop, let me help you out. Do you feel free when you step into an NBA arena to work and there are as many as 50 law enforcement officers inside the building? Do you feel free? Does Pop feel free when he drives to the arena and passes the 20 to 30 officers working traffic and crowd control? How about the two to six armed security officers who travel with the Spurs everywhere they go? Popovich doesn't find it strange that the NBA will dump millions upon millions of dollars into protecting basketball players with armed security, but he will balk at providing the same security to innocent children at schools. Has there ever been a mass shooting? at an NBA, NFL, NHL, or Major League Baseball game? At any major sporting event? Could it be that heightened security prevents mass shootings? Could it be that heightened armed security creates a sense of safety and lessens anxiety? How many armed police officers protect Nick Saban and Bill Belichick after a football game? How many protect Popovich? Greg Popovich is a joke. He's a great basketball coach, but he's a clown when it comes to discussing important social issues. He's a hypocrite. He claims that cowardice drives the behavior of politicians he disagrees with. Cowardice is what drives Popovich to avoid respectfully engaging with anyone who disagrees with him. 
I'm quite confident Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Marsha Blackburn would have no problem debating the Second Amendment with Greg Popovich. I would love to interview Popovich about the issue. I'm no expert, I'm just a sports writer. Me and Pop would be equals. I would just be a sports writer interviewing a basketball coach and we can talk about the Second Amendment. I wouldn't call him names. I'd simply like to challenge him on his narrative about the myth of the Second Amendment. Why does Popovich believe he's smarter than the Founding Fathers? Why are basketball players worthy of more armed security than school children? At one point, Popovich claimed that people from all across the globe are laughing at America over our gun laws. Maybe that's true. But they're not laughing at the freedom our gun policies provide the average American citizen. Those Second Amendment-backed freedoms are why people all across the globe desire to gain citizenship in America. History has proven that armed citizens will do far less violence and damage than a government that does not fear heavily armed citizens. School shootings are tragic. No one's denying that. Unopposed, tyrannical governments slaughter millions, including children. Governments always turn tyrannical when they have no fear of their citizens. Career politicians become know-it-alls. They're the smartest person in every room. Greg Popovich reminds me of Joe Biden, a political lifer. Biden is not a doctor or a scientist. He spent 50 plus years in politics. Overnight, he became an expert on contagious diseases and COVID. He called COVID a pandemic of the unvaccinated. He predicted massive deaths for the unvaccinated. If American citizens were unarmed, Joe Biden would have sent armed police officers to our homes and forced all of us to take the experimental medical trials produced by Big Pharma. Is that freedom? That's what I'd love to ask Greg Popovich. I used to be anti-Second Amendment. I was naive. I didn't believe liberals were capable of imposing their views by force. The last decade has shaken me from that naivety. I've watched Democrats cheerlead Antifa and Black Lives Matter rioters as they burned, looted, and murdered across the country. I'm watching now as Democrats encourage the transgender crowd to impose their worldview by force. None of this is new. Shortly after the Civil War, Democrats launched the KKK to intimidate Republican voters. That's not me making up history. Go check it yourself. That's why the KKK was launched. It was a political strategy to impose Democrat policies on Republicans. But Greg Popovich is a typical leftist. He's a bully. He's an elitist. He wants one set of rules for himself and other elites and an entirely different set for people he deems beneath him. He wants the government to take your guns because he's made enough money to pay men 
to carry his. It's cowardly. That's my fire starter. Greg Papaganda. Uh, Royce White, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, please help me out here. Uh, am I right or wrong about Greg Popovich being a bully and a know-it-all and someone who gets off on propagandizing without any opposition? Uh, I don't know if you've met Greg Popovich, know him at all, but I, I don't like the man. I respect him as a coach, but I don't like or respect him as a political pundit or whatever it is he's trying to do. Your thoughts? Um, with all due respect yep. to the show, Greg Popovich can go f himself. And I say that with all due respect because when I spoke out about mental health, there were two major basketball figures that spoke publicly in support of my advocacy for mental health. And in retrospect, in hindsight, their alliance to my position makes me question the entire weaponization of mental health as a topic. And the two were Steve Kerr, when he was an analyst, he wasn't a coach yet, and Greg Popovich. Now, we all know Steve Kerr came from under the, the, the stewardship of the, the coaching tree of Greg Popovich. So they're one and the same. The point is, is this. Why will none of these bourgeoisie Negroes say the word Uyghur? Why will none of these bourgeoisie Negroes say the word China? Why will none of these woke white liberals say the word China? I don't even want to talk. This Second Amendment argument is so, it's so ridiculous. It's so bogus. It's so illogical. I don't think I could say it any better than you did. I want to shift the, the real bait and switch that's going on here is why will none of these woke elitist metropolitan omnisexuals say the word China? Why will, when, when has Greg Popovich ever been on the record saying the word China? Why is he not asking? He, let me let me just dive into this shit today because, you know, 32 years around the sun today. I'm kind of up to here with the with the nonsense, especially from people like this who somehow magically just end up with the biggest platforms to obfuscate and, 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 and just, you know, postulate about a bunch of bullshit. Not by accident. Woke media industrial complex. You and I know it's true. Why is it that the ICC can issue a warrant for the arrest of Vladimir Putin for crimes against humanity and the same United Nations that brought you triple masks, the same United Nations that brought you vaccine mandates, the same United Nations that brought you uh, um, uh, um, uh, lockdowns, the same United Nations that brought you uh, all of the, the mainstream woo-woo that we're all supposed to buy into, that's expertise, is the same United Nations that said that the Uyghurs are being genocided and rounded up. Why are we so selective in what we choose to listen to even from the United Nations? These things are gaping holes in coherent logical thought, gaping holes. Like these people don't even live in reality. They're not even keeping their own lives in order. The United Nations, the World Health Organization, these are the governing bodies that the Greg Popoviches of the world want to rule your life. But for some reason, when it comes to certain pieces of information, they go totally silent and deaf on it. None of these NBA elites will say the word China. Not one of them. Royce, I get your point and agree with you. But you do, and I know you know this, 
Getting the guns away from us is the key to imposing the things that the globalists want to do. And so this is all connected. It's like Greg Popovich is playing his role to serve this larger agenda that you're talking about. He, he, he knows oh, no, to stay away from step, China. And I'll take you one step even further. Yeah, it's not, no, it's not only connected. This is the transition of power. This is the, the conditioning and manipulation through the mainstream media and dopamine and addiction and, and, and uh, uh, what do they call it? Living vicariously through the people that you worship and idol. This is the transfer of power from one nation to another in the global governance hegemony. Hope that's not too much for people to follow. The power is getting transferred from the globalists from America to China. And everybody like Greg Popovich is in on it. They're okay with it. This is how they got power in China, away from the people. Who put Mao in power in China? Who put the communists in power in China? The Americans did. The Western European elites did. That's who put Mao in power. Where did, where did communism come from? I mean, this stuff is getting to be so out there in the open that a conspiracy theorist's dreams are now being answered. A conspiracy theorist's dreams are now being being verified about some of these issues. These people are just linking the thing up like an old school Venn diagram. One, two, three, four. Greg Popovich is either a, 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 a conscious Marxist or he's a, a, a Marxist by proxy and he knows it and he's all good with it. And I don't know what he's up to. I don't know if he's got some middle aged liberal white girlfriend who's who's them on the weekends or what he's putting this this scam on for what does it benefit him this is what i start to ask myself how much self-doubt and radical guilt and resent and 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 weird identity crisis do you have to have at 70 something years old to be pushing this bullshit narrative are they promising you money are you are you getting a pay i mean even even if you're on the take like an roundabout way with the nba you don't have to go out of your way to shield the way he is. There's plenty of people in the NBA taking money from the NBA and China and the woke media establishment that don't go out of their way to push these narratives. What is this guy up to? Greg Popovich can himself. The Second Amendment is a is a is a what? It's a scam. It, what? He would gladly he would gladly he would gladly send me you every black person he pretends that he's worried about every kid he pre what about the 2 mil what about the million Uyghur kids that they just rounded up for being muslim what about those kids they don't matter cuz they're over in china right they don't matter cuz the ccp builds bridges and airports at a fast pace they don't matter because white colonialists and Europeans have, have uh, uh, waged uh, war, race war against people all across the world for hundreds of years. So now the Uyghur kids don't matter. And we all are supposed to believe that it has nothing to do with them being Muslim or believing in God. Who does this guy think? Like, you gave him too much credit. He gets to act smart in the NBA. This is why they kept people like me out. Because I, I couldn't have played on the San Antonio Spurs and allowed this mother to say that kind of shit and, and, and not rebut it, not refute it. If I played on the team, let alone another team or coached another team, this is how they've isolated the arena. This is how the anti-competitive ethos of the anti-Jewish elite have isolated the arena of media and allowed Greg Popovich to stand out there like he's some type of leader. He's not a leader. He's a shill. He's a shill and he knows it. He hates himself and he hates this country. It's real simple. And he doesn't have any care for those kids. That's the only act. That's the only myth. 
The myth is that these white liberals care about these kids. They don't give a shit about these kids. I'm blown away that he can work in the state of Texas and say these things without any pushback. There's no one in the media in the state of Texas that's listening to him going, hey, Greg, hold up. I mean, it's just real simple because my mind immediately went to it's like, hold on, Ted Cruz is an idiot for wanting security at schools, but Greg Popovich and all these coaches walk around with armed security guards circling them everywhere. They're all over the NBA arena. Literally, I talk to uh, people that would know. Uh, I I don't want to out anybody because, again, I know how scared people are of me, but, you know, people in the sports world still talk to me or whatever, but I talk to people who would know what standard operating procedure is inside of these arenas, inside football stadiums and all that other stuff. Greg Pot, he's surrounded by armed police officers, but, oh, kids, let's not provide it to them. I'm someone special. And so I think all of this comes from and Greg Popovich has always had it, and we've always tolerated this supreme arrogance and condescending. And so literally, it, it stems from there's a group of people like Popovich who think everybody is stupid, except for him and his little small handful of elite friends. And that's how you get in the mindset of like, nah, get these guns away from these people. They don't know what they're doing. They're too stupid. Give us all the power, this handful of smart people. And again, I'm going to be like you and start going off on tangents. But this is why I couldn't stand W.E.B. Du Bois once I figured out, like, this talented 10th thing and that there's these elite 10%. And this is, for those of you who don't know, W.E.B. Du Bois is like, he was the Ta-Nehisi coach of the 1920s or 30s or or whatever. Some... Ivy League elitist that they propped up as he's better than Booker T. Washington. He started the NAACP, or he was the the black or the African-American front face of the NAACP. The Jewish folks paid him money to pretend like they were starting a a pro-black movement with the NAACP. And the guy talked about there's this little 10% of black America that will be the leaders for everybody. And once I figured out, like, well, hold on, man, if, if... I'm not part of that talented 10. Nobody, I, 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 I'm not, I come from nothing. A father didn't graduate high school, factory working mama, uh, a, a 2.3 GPA from Ball State University. I would never be part of the talented 10th. And so I got these Ivy League Negroes are supposed to be my leaders. Miss me with all of that. And so <laughs> that's the mentality of all of these elites. And I hear from, 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 from uh, Popovich, I hear it from Biden, and, and these are the most dangerous people on the planet. Once you th- convince yourself you're the smartest person in every room, you become a danger to everybody in the room. And that's what I see from Popovich. And, and let's go back to, and people say, you know, it's you know, not political, political, or you keep talking political. Well, let's, let's be honest, okay. Let's let's be monolith. You want to talk black people aren't a monolith. Black women are a monolith. Ninety eight percent of black women vote for Greg Popovich. Ninety eight percent of black women vote for Steve Kerr. 
98% of black women, they vote for Dave Portnoy and, and, and what's your other boy's name? Oh, Keith Overman. 98% of black women voted for Joe Biden. Okay, we're voting for the, we, we bought into this. This is, this is our modus operandi. And, and here's, what's really, here's what's really scary about it. There's some truth in there's some truth in their position, and I told I told John and and, and uh, before the show that that our side of the movement has to start to clarify our position around these issues, around where they are actually right. Because if we don't, then we stay in this constant back and forth where 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 our position is undermined as well. There's some legitimacy to what to, there's some legitimacy to the overall spirit of what's coming from the left. There is. And that legitimacy is this, that the colonial European powers took the Lord's name in vain to march around the globe and engage in piracy, slavery, and drugs. That's a fact. Nobody can deny that. It's not an indictment of Christ. It's not an indictment of God. It's not an indictment of America's founding documents. It's an indictment of a business model that came from a a post-Renaissance, a post-Enlightenment European monarchical society monarchical society. It had, it, it, it's, it's not an indictment of Christ. It's not an indictment of God. It's not an indictment of American citizenship. Now they're going to use that narrative. A bunch of globalists, European elites are going to use that narrative to transfer power to China An even better slave master. Do these Negroes think that they're going to have a special place in China? Even more importantly, do they do, do, do our Jewish brothers there in Israel think that they're going to have a special place in China? See, we don't understand yet what's happening. This is why Macron in France in the last 48 hours says he's fine with China becoming the regional hegemony. We should all welcome that. We should, we should hedge our bets that the American dollar doesn't need to be the stabilizing economic force in the whole world. Macron, the French. Now, what did I tell you in the beginning were the four heresies of the West? The scientific method, democracy, computer technology, and now artificial intelligence. Who invented democracy? Dun-da-da-da, the French. The same democracy that all these Greg Popoviches and the liberals are now hedging their whole political argument on. They're going to use democracy. They're going to use racism. They're going to use equality and environmentalism and justice to transfer power to one of the most tyrannical, godless, unjust, slave-taking cultures and regimes in human history? Three million Uyghurs. Three million ethnic minorities, Turkish Muslims, rounded up by facial recognition and faith, carted off to a re-education camp through facial recognition. Never saw a day in court. Never saw a day in court. They didn't see a judge. There's no habeas corpus in China. And I'm not being a China hog just for just, just for the sake of because me and Bannon are cool or or I support Donald Trump. I could not know them. I was talking about this before I met them. Three million Muslims. And you got black men in America saying, yeah, well, there's just as many black men in prison in America. Are you people stupid? There's 1.2 million prisoners in, in the entire American country. 1.2 million prisoners in this whole country, 40% of them are black. You do the math. That's 400,000 black men in prison. They rounded up 3 million people in six years. And some of the black men who are in prison today actually did the crime. They didn't get sent to jail because they were praying. I mean, what kind of racket are we running on ourselves in this country today? I'm sick of this shit. At 32 years old, I'm just sick of it, Jason. I apologize for going off today. 
but I'm just sick of it. What kind of racket are we running on ourselves? If you tune in tonight to my, my podcast at 9 p.m., uh, you know, please call me crazy. I, I go off for about two hours on this. And, and let me go back for one final thing, Jason, and, and explain to people what, what really took place here. Again, we were told the narrative. We were told the narrative after, uh, in 1908, we were told the narrative at the culmination of the Anglo-Russian Convention after Great Britain and the Great Russian Empire had fought wars for territory for hundreds of years, they came together and said, we'll split everything down the middle. Tibet, Afghanistan, the list goes on and on and on. That was a fight that was waged between the Russians and Great Britain. It's still going down today. And out of that 1908 convention came Halford John Mackinder, the Eurasian World Island Theory. It's been the prevailing military and geopolitical theory of the last 100 years. And the Chinese learned it from us. Who taught them it? In the 70s, Kissinger, Nixon, and a bunch of other would-be conservatives went over to China and taught them the battle plan. This is the enemy within. We are on the brink of a societal collapse here in America from people who came from America. We have to divorce the crown, Jason. This is what I was saying about annexation versus secession. We have to divorce from these people. We can't let China walk around the world and gain sympathy and collaboration from all the nations that the European monarchy and crown colonized, because they did do it, and they are Darwinists, and they were racist. That's not our history. Our history is a nation of shopkeepers fortified by the Second Amendment and the right to bear arms, something that Popovich enjoys, that he's willing to relinquish to go serve under President Xi. And he wants to talk to us about kids like we're stupid. And all of his players are willing to play for him. And all these NBA players are willing to sit there and, and, and buy into that and clap like seals. These people are sellouts. And all you black folks out there who watch this show and you criticize Jason or me and say that we're cooning because we criticize other black folks. If you want to trade your white master for your Chinese master, you are a slave. One of our white founding fathers who you say is racist had one of the most profound takes on citizenship. If you give up your freedom for security, you don't deserve either. And you'll have neither. That's where we are now. We're at war with China. They're winning because they're using black people, black mothers and Jewish mothers to tell their sons, never fight the status quo. You fight the status quo, you die. You fight the status quo, you get hung. You fight the status quo, you get carted off to a camp. And this is what Greg Popovich is using. And it offends me. Now I understand why when they were calling my agent, they wouldn't let me come to training camp. Because you can t when you walk with that energy I got, you can smell it on somebody. He didn't want me anywhere around that team. Liked my game, knew I moved the ball, knew I had all the skills, positionless basketball, fit right in with San Antonio. He didn't want Negroes like me around. That's who Greg Popovich really is. I want to say a couple of things. There's a couple of different stats about how many people are incarcerated. A high number I see around 2 million. 2020, I'm looking at one study, that says it's 1.2 million, just like he said. But... Your point remains true that, you know, this whole mass incarceration thing is exaggerated and blown out of proportion, and it's a talking point that everybody's picked up and, you know, run with. The, the, the other thing I think you can speak to as it relates to Popovich 
as it relates to why the NBA seems to be the leader of the pro-China, anti-America movement is because, and, and again, a lot of people can't understand this because they, have, they haven't traveled to China or something, but basketball is such a big deal in China. And elite basketball players, regardless of color, get treated there's a statue in, in China of Stefan Marbury, a statue in a major city in China, statue. He's worshipped there. Stefan Marbury, who, after playing in the NBA, went over to China and actually put together a better career in China and is far more revered in China. And so from LeBron James to James Harden to anybody, all these NBA players during the offseason, during the summer, they go over to China and pick up a bag of money because they're worshipped, they're gods over there. They're, they're more respected in China than they are in America. And that's why they actually think, yeah, what's the matter with China? When I'm over there, I'm treated as a god. I wish America treated me this way. And, and they're so selfish that they don't think, well, what about the five foot 10, 230 pound black dude? How's he treated in China? How's the average black person or person of color treated in China who's not a basketball player? And so I just think their minds are warped, Greg Popovich included. I'm sure he's taken some trips over to China with players or with NBA officials who were through David Stern and continued on through Adam Silver had this dream of landing this monster bag from the Chinese government. That's the carrot the kids keep dangled in front of the NBA. One day we're going to give y'all a TV contract that will blow ESPN and ABC out of the water and blah, blah, blah. But, but I don't think people understand that Popovich and most of the NBA they actually authentically believe China is superior to America because of the way they're treated as basketball players. They don't care anything about how a black construction worker, uh, a black police officer, a black, hell, a black doctor won't get treated that way. They'd probably tell you not to go to a black doctor in China, or they maybe wouldn't even allow it. But if you want to come over here and dribble the basketball, we're going to throw rose petals at your feet and as many virgin Chinese girls as you want. And that's why they love China. Absolutely. Yeah, they're taking bags of money. There's no doubt about it. They got they got a lot of money invested in China. Um, it's a happy marriage. And look, it's, it's a microcosm. That's what I'm saying. It's a microcosm. The CC... The NATO alliance has been shrunk to the little corner of Europe that it sits on. NATO runs around, walks around, puffs his chest out like it's big and bad. Jason Whitlock and all of the working class moms and dads underwrite the entire NATO defense. Ask Greg Popovich. I want one journalist to ask Greg Popovich about the, the, the implications of the Shanghai the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. 
This is the anti-NATO alliance. Understand, this is, the Shanghai Corporation Organization has about every country from Asia committed to it. If you look on the map, the only countries that are not in the cooperation are who? All the NATO countries. They've built an anti-NATO alliance. And the way they built it was simple. They went to all the nations that the crown had previously colonized and said, would you rather be with the white man or us? And because of the history that did exist, that was never reconciled, they had an irresistible sales pitch. Not only are we not the white slave master you're used to, we'll help you build things. We'll help you be more prosperous in the material way than they ever cared to. And that was true. And America should have fortified Africa. You kill Muammar Gaddafi when he said, let's have the United States of Africa. But Africa was amenable to Islam and Christianity. We had brothers there that believed in God. And they seemed to be a bit conservative, a bit more conservative than the European Finocchios in France. But they didn't want to fortify Africa. They wanted Africa to be poor. And I'm not some Pan-Africanist. Actually, I hate it when I hear people talk this Pan-African woo-woo. But, but let's talk strategy. We let Africa stay a poor nation because we were okay siphoning off the coins. And now, now all of a sudden we want out of Africa. LeBron and everybody else, oh, we're out of Africa. We can't let the white man colonize our African ancestors anymore, but we got NBA Africa. We're going to go mine the talent. We're going to let the CCP take over our colonial spot in Africa. The Europe, you know what makes it crazy, Jason? The Europeans don't even realize that they're being sold out by their elites, I don't think. The European elites and the American elites are selling out the American and European people to the Chinese based on a race narrative that they engaged in. I love when Muammar Gaddafi was at the UN, and I think I'm rambling now, but I love when Muammar Gaddafi was at the UN, and you know what he said in 2009? He said, you guys killed the Jews. You burned the Jews. We did it. Adolf Hitler wasn't of Africa or Arab. You're making it seem like we hate the Jews. You guys hated the Jews. You killed them. We gave them safe haven. That's the type of stuff they don't want people. That's the stuff Greg Popovich won't even get his beak wet on. You talk Momar, you bring Momar Gaddafi up to Greg Popovich in in an NBA press conference, watch him shit himself. He won't even touch that type of talk, but he's woke, but he knows what, but he's a smart guy. He's a smart coach. I'll give him that. But outside of coaching, he should shut the f up. Royce, you've you've broken the fearless cursing record. Uh, I think it's a, a, a number that will never be topped. Uh, you and Wilt Chamberlain both have unbreakable records, 100 points in a game and 100 curses on fearless. Thank you, Royce. Godspeed. Uh, we'll, we've got a bar of soap. Uh, we're going to wash Royce's mouth out with soap uh, before his next visit. Uh, Royce fired up, and I, <clears throat> I don't blame him for being fired up. Greg Popovich is that annoying, and this topic hits Royce in a personal way. Uh, not caping up for his cursing. We'll, we beat most of it out, but uh, <laughs> fired up, Royce White. Uh, we're going to be fired up this weekend at Roll Call. Can't wait for you guys to be here and the fellowship with us. Still time for you to sign up at fearlessarmyrollcall.com. Want you to be a part of this. This is going to be a tremendous, tremendous event that's going to be the kickoff of a movement that brings men together, men of all races, sizes, shapes, colors, whatever. It's going to bring us all together 
inspire us to live more righteously and to uh, accept our responsibility as men and as leaders uh, to push this country a better direction. FearlessArmyRollCall.com. Still time for you to sign up. Can't wait to see you on Saturday or Friday if you come to the cookout. All right, uh, Steve Kim, next. Atheists, the secular world, the culture uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You, you're, you can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth, this would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect, you know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture, and we, we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids? and you're gonna turn around and let him chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let him sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl and you're gonna let him make the Bible hate speech, you're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. Absolutely. I'm telling you, so it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms and there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder and every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the, the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know you, you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just standing up, just saying no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough in prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I, I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ. I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out. You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your positions, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. All 
All right, before we roll out to uh, Steve Kim, I got to tell you about some great news. Tomorrow, Tuesday, April 11th at 2.30 p.m. Central, I'm going to be hosting an off-the-record private question and answer exclusively for Blaze TV subscribers. This is your chance to chat with me about anything and everything that's on your mind. We won't have any big tech sensors looking over our shoulders, so no topic is off limits. If you're not a Blaze TV subscriber, head on over to blazetv.com slash off the record and sign up today so you can join the conversation. Use the promo code off the record. The other Blaze TV hosts and I are going to be doing these live chats on a regular basis. So if you want to have direct a direct line to me, Jason Whitlock, and the rest of the crew, be sure to sign up now. Again, the live chat will take place on Tuesday, April 11th at 2.30 p.m. Central Time. Head over to blazetv.com slash off the record to subscribe today so you can join us. I've been enjoying these. This will be the third one I think I've done. It's a great conversation. I get to say whatever I want without worrying about what YouTube thinks. So ask any question and I'll give you any answer. All right, uh, let's roll out to uh, Los Angeles, bring in our guy, Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell. Steve, I know you're probably still on a high from succession last night. I don't, we're gonna get there. Be patient. I wanna talk about a few other things before we review uh, an awesome episode of succession last night. And we'll start with uh, Greg Popovich popping off for eight straight minutes to the media. No one's questioning a word that he says. The guy's a bully, and he says all this stuff. He fires off all this propaganda because he knows no one's ever going to push back. No one at ESPN. No, he, He's been getting away with it, treating sideline reporters like dopes for 15 years. And so he treats everybody in a condescending fashion. Your thoughts on uh, Greg propaganda? Well, Pop has become the Keith Oberman of NBA coaches. Uh, look, I get mm. it. Everyone has, mm. political, everyone has political leanings. They're allowed to have their opinions. But, you know, here's the issue I have with Pop. Uh, if he really cares about this issue uh, and those who are affected by gun violence, he plays in a league that travels to various cities like Chicago, Washington, D.C., Memphis, Philadelphia, and L.A., which are plagued by this. But it's funny, when he's on those cities, on road trips, he never brings it up. All of a sudden, he just wants to talk basketball. It's all about the X's and O's, but, but he's not talking about gun violence then. Why do you think that is? Huh, it's interesting. But he wants to go out there and grandstand like he's the elder statesman. Look, I feel bad for the NBA beat reporters. And I'll tell you why. They're not even allowed to disagree. They're not. Everything is so much about access that even if they really did want to counter uh, counteract what he's saying with their own viewpoints, number one, their editors may say, no, no, you're not allowed to do that. Stick to the game or stick to the liberal agenda. Let's be honest about who owns these media companies. And the second thing is a lot of these guys, and again, I, I don't want to be insensitive here, a lot of them lack balls. They care if Pop likes them, knowing that he looks at you like a gum on his a piece of gum on his shoe. Like I've never, I I long ago do not care if the people I cover like me or not. I get it. This like Larry Merchant once taught me, 
This is not a popularity contest, but these guys want to have it nice and easy. They don't want the conflict. They want to lob, you know, lob those nice, easy softball questions, and maybe Popovich will actually treat them like a human and pat them on the head. But to actually have a real discussion about a serious issue, they don't have the license, and some of them just don't have the guts. How do you think he would respond if if I were sitting there in the room and said, hey, Greg, uh, there's every time you play an NBA game, there's 30 to 50 police officers inside the building. Your team travels with a security or armed security team. Uh, do you find that a contradiction to any? How, how do you think he would respond to a simple question like that? Well, this is the thing. He looked at you and he's like, ooh, a black guy saying it. Oh, geez. I can't just play bully ball with the <laughs> wimpy white guys. Shit. Um, they, I don't know what he'd do. He'd probably call a 20-second timeout. Uh, I mean, he'd probably look over <laughs> for Tim Duncan. Because here's the other thing about Pop. I, I don't really follow the NBA anymore, but it turns out Tim Duncan was kind of important to his success. They, I didn't know the Spurs <laughs> were that bad post the big fundamental. I mean, honestly, they have fallen off a cliff. And I just think, to me, Popovich at one point was an all-time great coach. Now it turns out without number 21, he's like the Wizard of Oz. He's just a guy pulling levers behind a curtain. And uh, guess what? Players matter. But I do find it interesting that a lot of these figures in sports who say that they want to be activists, they want to be spokesmen, you're right. But you're... You make a great point in the sense that there's no two-way discourse. It's that I get to be the orator. I get to make these proclamations, but there's never any real debate or pushback. That's where I find these things to be so completely inauthentic because, again, yes, there is a gun violence problem, but Greg Popovich is only telling about a sliver of the story within that much bigger picture. And he's only talking about one potential solution. He, again, there's all kinds of issues contributing to gun violence, in particular mental health issues. Won't talk about that, won't talk about the destruction of family and how that contributes to violence. He, he's, I, I love the Keith Oberman uh, analogy. I, I think it's terrific. Do you think any of this is just coaching strategy in terms of, hey, I'm a hard A head coach that a lot of the younger black dudes may not like in the NBA. So let me pretend to be this radical uh, wannabe Malcolm X or wannabe Black Panther. Do you think any of it is just strategy and outreach to his woke players? Well, if it is, judging by the last four or five years and the actions of Kawhi Leonard, who couldn't get the hell out of there fast enough, uh, Kawhi doesn't even want to remember the Alidome, Alamo Dome, <laughs> Alamo, or much less Popovich. So it, if, if, if that's the strategy, it's a failing one. It's been miserable. And again, I want to be realistic about this. Those guys on the NBA and the Spurs beat, I feel sorry for him because they're not allowed to counterpunch. And then every time Popovich goes down this rabbit hole, I guarantee you they, they must be rolling their eyes and going, oh, God, not this again. 
Um, there comes a point in time where someone's going to have to ask him, well, wait a minute, what, what have you done? And then I'd ask him, well, well, what about with Jay Morant? So you're saying we should take away his guns? So is that what you're saying? I mean, you put him on the spot. Well, actually, what about that kid from Alabama? So it's just about guns. Just take away his guns everything, and, and see what he says. And, and be willing to take the blowback because I don't get this. Well, you know, I need Popovich to be nice to me and, and to explain the pick and roll. that, Bro, he hates you anyway. So that, that's my view of it, but I'm different. I don't care anymore. I'm at that stage. I am a proud curmudgeon who looks really young with the help of hair dye. So I, you know, it, but, but again, this thing is so much about access that I don't believe these guys are actually allowed to push back on Popovich. Uh, let's move to the NFL. Odell Beckham Jr. set out all of last year. He signs a one-year deal with the Baltimore Ravens worth up to $18 million. I don't think Baltimore does this deal unless they think uh, Lamar Jackson is coming back to Baltimore. Do you have that same read? Yeah, I look, I don't know if OBJ would go to Baltimore unless he had an inkling on who his quarterback is. I mean, think about it. This guy's look, I know me and you differ on him a little bit, but he's had a very accomplished career. He's been a star. He might still have something left in the gas tank. And I, I, I would like to believe that he still cares about his legacy in terms of like, hey, I want to put together a Hall of Fame run. Well, if you're Odell, you don't go to a team where you're thinking, okay, who's my quarterback? I, I would think, and I'm just, again, this is just an assumption that, hey, me and Lamar Jackson can be the hottest act in town. We can reinvent one another. And if they get their defense right, and traditionally Baltimore's been a pretty good defense, we can make a run. So, again, the question is, would, o, would OBJ go to a team not knowing what his quarterback situation looked like or if he had an assumption about it? Steve, uh, how many Pro Bowls has OBJ qualified for? Probably one or two. Hasn't made that many from what I know. Three. Okay. So, three. Yeah, okay. three. He's made five. three. Okay. Okay, I thought you were going to say like five or six. But, no. again, so it, it's been – he hadn't been in a Pro Bowl since 2016. Okay, but – Okay, but – So I – Jason, you're, you're, telling me, you're telling me, though, there's probably a lot of receivers that have made more that you don't even remember. Say what you want, for better or worse, we're talking about OBJ right now in the beginning of April. That speaks to the type of star he is, does it not? Steve, how many times has he been first-team All-Pro? How many times has OBJ been first-team All-Pro? I'm with you on that, but he is a star, and he has been productive. Once. That you cannot deny. Hasn't been first-team All-Pro since 2014, his rookie year. So, I, I just, I don't, OBJ, I don't think, had a lot of good options. I, I, I don't. The guy set out all of last year. He's now 30, 30 or 31 years old. OBJ took the best deal on the table. I don't think it's about the quarterback because let, let's say OBJ is looking for at 30, 31 years old. Yeah, he's 30 years old. Uh, let's say he's looking for his last big payday, last big score. 
is Lamar Jackson the quarterback he wants to bet on that, oh, I get here to Baltimore and play with Lamar Jackson, I'm going to put up incredible numbers and get my next big contract? Or is he just looking for his does he look at this as his final payday, look around, it's like, well, I'm damn near like Cam Newton. No one really wants me. No okay. one really wants to pay me. I think this is some desperation on OBJ's well, part. Jason, I, I don't And Baltimore's. I, I actually think his best situation, from a football perspective, is going to a team that has other options, and he's the two or three. Much like he was very effective in his role as the complementary part to Cooper Cup. I, I know me and you disagree again. I believe he did a pretty good job for the Rams. He fit in well, and he made some plays in the playoffs before blowing out his knee in that Super Bowl against Cincinnati. With that said, I just wonder, you know how much these guys love to be a slave to social media and that they love the perception and they love the street cred? Jason, do you think there's any part of OBJ that says, you know what, if I team up with Lamar, People are going to love this from a marketing standpoint. We're going to have the buzz that this is going to be the collaboration that are, is going to be the talk of the town for at least the first month. Do you think there's any chance that he thought of this, the whole marketing angle of me and Lamar? Yeah, I think he is thinking there could be some buzz. But if I were talking to him, I'd also say this could be a bust, that this could end up being a laughing stock issue and a bad look for he and Lamar if it doesn't work. Because trust me, if they get to week seven, week eight, and OBJ's not putting up numbers that's going to lead to his next big contract, mm. OBJ is going to turn on Lamar. Oh, he's, going, he's going to do things on the field <laughs> that point a finger. He'll be... I'm wide open, you know. Uh, and, you know, when Lamar overthrows him, he's going to go through some theatrics. He'll – what? You know what this could be? In 1995, the hottest free agent name – and, again, situation is not completely analogous. guy by the name of Andre Bad Moon Rising was thought to be the missing piece in Cleveland. That thing was a bust – and that roof was on fire, and I'm not talking about left eye, because within a year or two, Cleveland said, <laughs> we're moving to Baltimore, and you're getting the hell out of here. So, yeah, you're right. This could be Andre Risen 2.0. Uh, Steve, I know you, you hate talking women's basketball, but oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, my Caitlin God. Caitlin Clark remains in the news. <laughs> Cheryl Miller. Let me see. I, I, I had this story called up earlier in the day. Cheryl Miller talked to USA Today yesterday, I believe, and said some things that just blew my mind as it relates to Caitlin Clark, the Iowa bat. Oh, boy, my computer. The headline, Hall of Famer Cheryl Miller says, Caitlin Clark missed a moment against hmm. Angel Reese. And, and th these quotes are, you talk about missing a moment. Her opponent got the best of her that night, and all she had to do is acknowledge. All right, all right, you're working my nerves. You need, to put it, you need to put it down now, but I see you, I see you. That would have been the end of it. Cheryl what? Miller has turned Caitlin Clark into the bad guy 
in this situation and basically saying Caitlin Clark needed to confront and acknowledge this. This this racial idolatry that we have going on to where every situation is not evaluated on the facts and what happened. It's like, oh, I'm team black, so let me figure out a way to figure out how team white got this right or wrong or got this wrong. This is incredible to me that Cheryl Miller and 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 the lack of self-awareness and and I, I hate to, I'm gonna go this deep. I don't hate to go uh-huh. this deep, but I don't uh-huh. want to put you in a tough spot. But you're never in a tough spot. <laughs> you got a black woman, a Hall of Fame basketball player, someone that used to have a platform or whatever. She's basically arguing. You know what Caitlin Clark needs to do? She needs to handle this the way these young black kids do. If someone disrespects you, you got to disrespect them back. And if and you know what? Let's hope that it turns violent. Let's hope that we can escalate these situations rather than de-escalate. This is so mind-boggling stupid. And so clear it's like th- this whole Angel Reese is acting a fool and Cheryl Miller, oh, you missed a moment to act a fool right there with her. It's crazy, but this is the kind of advice we're giving young people. And it's being sold by USA Today and other media outlets that somehow someone else's behavior should determine your behavior and you missed a moment. Idiocy. It, 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 uh, it, it's, it's dangerous idiocy. Your thoughts? You know, I, I love Cheryl Miller. I, the best ball player ever out of Riverside. I'll, I'll, I'll do respect to Reggie Miller. But, I mean, so what's that old phrase? Sticks and stones may break my bones. I'm going to beat your ass. I, I don't get this. So if Caitlin <laughs> Clark would have come right back in her face and they start throwing chingasos and all of a sudden you got Christy Martin against Layla Ali, you're telling me everyone would have praised it? I don't get it. I mean, look, the winner gets to talk. The loser has to kind of slink away because if an altercation would have happened, Caitlin Clark would not have been praised. But let's say she did something. You know what would have been hilarious? I've, I've been thinking about this as you forced me to talk about this for the 84th show. So if Caitlin Clark next year loses again to LSU and and Angel Reese comes over and does that thing again, you know what I would do? I'd start pulling on my hair saying, yeah, at least this is mine. There, there you go. You handle <laughs> There you go. Just walk away. That's the way you do it. Caitlin, you can take that. It's all you, Caitlin. It's all you. I, I don't get what he, she is saying. I, again, though, the standards and expectations you have for somebody, that's what you think of them. It's it's amazing. You know, Saturday Night Live did a horrible spoof of Angel Reese. Did you see this for any reason? We don't have it. But did you see that they did a spoof on the weekend update of oh, Angel Reese? Had her sound. did something that wasn't funny? No. Well, that continues <laughs> a 30-year downtrend. Good grief. No, I didn't. Not only lie. was it not fun, not only was it not funny, but it made basically made Angel Reese sound like a buffoon and a clown. Uh, they, you know, if anything, it, it was ripping Angel Reese. I'm not even sure if they're aware of it, but the, they made her sound unintelligent, overly aggressive, and stupid. And, uh, you know, maybe that's what they think of her. But I, I anyway, she, somehow 
she's the winner of this situation. I get that she won a basketball game. She scored 15 points. We're acting like she scored 40 and hit the game winner in overtime. It's, it's a joke. But that's the upside world, upside down world we're living in. Speaking of that, <clears throat> last topic, Steve, uh, my new other a new topic, Riley Gaines, the University of Kentucky swimmer. She gets harassed, speaking at San Francisco State University or whatever. Uh, she, she gets assaulted, speaking at San Francisco State University. We played the video last week, there it is again. And, and somehow this Jamela Moore, she's some sort of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, or some, some kind of official, mid-level administrator at, at San Francisco State University, and comes out with a statement that basically praises the people who attacked Riley Gaines and, and, and offered no apology to Riley Gaines uh, basically criticized uh, Riley, uh, uh, not basically, but, but praised the other side and then turned around and Riley Gaines criticized the statement and this Jamela Moore ends up blocking uh, mm -hmm. Riley Gaines over Twitter. This, this, I just don't know how you can see a young woman get assaulted attacked by that many people, have to barricade herself inside a room for three hours, and then you put out a statement that praises the people that harassed her? This is absolutely incredible. Yeah, I think I got the statement here. Uh, here it is. I, well, no, that ain't the right, that ain't the right. Uh, oh, yeah, here it is. Here it is. Yeah, uh, dear San Francisco State community, today, San Francisco State finds itself again at the center of a national discussion regarding freedom of speech and expression. Let me begin by saying clearly, the trans community is welcome and belongs at San Francisco State University. Further, our community fiercely believes in unity, connection, care, and compassion, and we value different ideas even when they are not our own. SF State is regularly noted as one of the most diverse campuses in the United States. This is what makes us Gators and this is what makes us great. Diversity promotes critical discussions, new understandings, and enriches the academic experience. What a word salad this is. But we may also find ourselves exposed to divergent views and even views we find personally abhorrent. These encounters have sometimes led to discord, anger, confrontation, and fear. We must meet this moment and unite with a shared value of learning. Thank you to our students who participated peacefully in Thursday evening's event. It took tremendous bravery to stand in a challenging space. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of proud of the moments where we listened and asked insightful questions. I'm also proud of the moments when our students demonstrated the value of free speech and the right to protest peacefully. These issues did not go away. These values are very much at our core. Blah, 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 blah. Vice President for Student Affairs and Enrollment Management. The world is upside down, Steve. Yeah, I mean, look, I have one bit of advice. If you're gonna go to these places, you are entering enemy territory. 
and they're going to be hostile. It's not a level playing field. I would insist or I would hire my own security detail and just say, if they can't come on campus with me, I'm not putting myself in harm's way. Bottom line, get yourself your version of Secret Service, whoever you need to get, and protect yourself at all times, as they say in boxing, because this is what you're going to get. I've seen too much of it. This is no longer, uh, I would call, an anomaly. I think that is expected behavior from that group. They, they actually don't want discourse. I think that the biggest problem I, we have in American society is that people actually don't want to hear others' ideas. They want to force their ideas down your throat. Uh, it's no longer just enough to be neutral because then they'll start using terms like your silence is violent. Um, if you're not on our side, you're the enemy. So you theoretically cannot be Switzerland in any of these type of debates. But I think with Riley Gaines, I think what she's doing is very admirable. But you better be smarter, young lady. You are not safe. So if you want to go out there and be a soldier, you better bring an army. Maybe not a literal one, but at least a figurative one. Because at this point, you know what you're facing. So if you get torn to shreds and you did nothing about your own security, I, I hate to be this guy, but then that's on you now. Mm. Harsh words from a harsh man, Steve Kim. Uh, Steve, now the moment is here. Mm. Uh, we have not shared thoughts. You know what I think of mm -hmm. last night's episode. I have no idea what you think. Succession was unbelievable last night. Logan Roy is dead. And <sighs> for much of the episode, I was like, is this is Logan pulling off a scam? Is he is he trying to smoke his kids out? And and then as it became like, oh my God, Logan, this is how Logan Roy is gonna die. I thought the acting was superb. I thought the writing was superb. I I I'm I don't know how the show is going to be without Logan Roy, the dad, the patriarch, uh, the multi-billionaire, the Rupert Murdoch of the show. I don't know how the show is going to be now that he's dead. They kill him off in the third episode of the final season. I would imagine there's seven to ten more episodes left. Your thoughts on last night's episode of Succession? Yeah, it's a sad day for the old Kimster. The greatest character in television has passed on. Uh, and it's, it's you got sad. him over Tony Soprano. Well, I'm saying currently, but I have a question oh, for you. Right. Has Succession yeah. now entered the top ten? Is it now off the bubble of Jason Whitlock on the HBO Pantheon? Yeah, I, I, I think I, it's. I think it's uh, soundly in the top ten. Sound, yeah, and, I, and now competing for a top five spot. We'll see how they pull off. How they pull this off. Now, as much as I'm disappointed that I'm not going to see the fine work of Brian Cox, who I just find to be a fascinating individual. I've been watching a lot of his interviews, and I'm really happy for him that at his age, he finally got this role that the general public knows, because he's had a great career, going all the way back to his days in England, character actor, theater, and, and now he finally has a role that he can hang his hat on. The American public can just look at him and say, F off, we love you. So here's the thing, as, as disappointed as I am, that I'm not going to hear the great one-liners and the gruffness of Darth Roy. Look at the title of the show. It's called Succession. Now we're going to see who succeeds the father. Because that's what the basis of the show was. If you go back to season one, I don't know if it's the first episode, but Jason, wasn't one of the first scenes where Logan Roy had a stroke and he's out there urinating in his office and it's clear he's kind of in flagging health 
He may not be around long. So I actually respect the fact that in the final season that they said, you know what? We're going to do something very inconvenient because life is inconvenient. It's never off of a script. Let's kill off this character that's so beloved in his own way and figure out the complicated stuff now that these kids are now fighting for the legacy and the company and control of that corporation. I actually find it to be very fascinating. I think it's fascinating. It's just, I did, everything centered around Logan. I mean, he was the energy that everyone bounced off of and all the, the great scenes had something to do with Logan or reacting to Logan. And now I'm sitting there asking, who is my second favorite character, now favorite character on the show? And I got to admit, it's either Tom or Roman. Yeah. I can't decide, but that, that's who I'm kind of rooting for, Tom or Roman. Roman's some sort of sexual pervert with some issues or whatever, <laughs> but he did love his dad and had a heart. Shiv... I can't stand. Shiv last night is like, should we have the plane circle in the air until we can figure out what we're going to do? Because he has this heart attack and dies on an airplane flying to Sweden. And she, she's sitting there thinking about before. And, and Roman's like, no, man, we got to get this dude on the ground as soon as possible. Have a doctor look at him. And, you know, because Roman wouldn't give up on the possibility he was still alive. I, I, I Tom and Roman are my two favorite characters at this point who I'm rooting for the most. Uh, and and maybe, maybe Greg, the goofball, he might be third. Well, Shiv is everything that's wrong with modern-day feminism and girl boss. I mean, honestly, yeah. So, Tom, you lucked out, bro. Just, just move on. You can upgrade. Uh, <laughs> I like Roman. I thought it was very interesting or ironic that Roman actually had the last live conversation with his father. And it... it the juxtaposition of, hey, son, I love you, but you got to you got to off Jerry. <laughs> like You got to be a good son. And you saw the thing where, like, he didn't want to do it, but he wanted to be the dutiful son. But he also kind of like had that thing with Jerry and had that uncomfortable scene where he's like, Jerry, can we talk later? <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. But I thought here's what the interesting part is. You saw the human side that no matter how fractured the relationship was between the kids which includes Connor, that as much as they hated him at times, as fractured as it was and how incomplete it was, they still love the guy as a father for all his faults. But then it also swerved back as you delve further into the issue of, wait a minute, but there's a business component. How do we handle the press release? Who takes over? What about the stock prices? So this melding of personal interest and business realities. I thought they handled that incredibly well. You made me, you just reminded me, I've forgotten all about Connor, yeah. who went through with the wedding on the day that his father yeah. died. And, and that was kind of set up in the episode before when Connor's just having to go deal with, you know, hey, look, I've never had love. I've learned to live without it. And so here on my biggest day, my dad died. He didn't love me anyway. Let's go through with the wedding. I'm scared to death at this 
hot young girl that I basically purchased is going to back out of this deal. It's I don't know what I I don't know I what I think we'll or feel about line. Connor. We'll have the grass line. Uh-huh. I'm not going to leave today. Oh, okay. You, you know, you're not going to leave right now. You might leave later, but I'll at least go through with the wedding. I thought that was incredibly honest because it, it, it there it really speaks upon what is the foundation of that relationship. I mean, when he asked her, are you just in this for the money? And I'm like, well, that's kind of a rhetorical question, is it not? But I understand that that's a complicated relationship that maybe even Willa understands. Look, I'm getting into the danger zone here. Uh, Shout out to Kevin Samuels that, you know what? Maybe this is my best option, that there's still a lot of money. I have fun. I don't have to ever work a nine to five if I'm part of this family. Um, You know, Connor, for all his eccentricities, actually really likes me. Sometimes in life, there's no perfect situation. You have to settle for the best situation. And maybe for Willa, that is being married to Connor Roy. Uh, Who wins? Who who do you think comes out on top? Who who takes over Waystar? Or maybe no one does, and they all end up broke. I don't know. No, I think... I, you know, that, I have no idea. I really don't. I think Tom just is, is looked upon as an outsider and looking at some of the previews. He's going to get ripped to shreds because, yeah, look, he's now divorced from Shiv, so he's not really a part of the family. And his protector, as he said, is gone. His power was his alliance with Logan Roy. That is no longer available now. Unfortunately for him, that individual died on an airplane. So I don't think it's going to be him – I look at Kendall as just being ineffective. I actually kind of think Roman, the last couple of episodes, has shown certain facets of himself as an individual that for all his peccadillos, he's kind of more solid, well-rounded person than the other siblings. But again, he's a weirdo too. (laughs) So, you know. I could see Roman being the next, but I think they're going to... What businesses usually die in the hands of the people who inherit the, that business. When you, when you give your kid, business over to your kids, the failure rate is like astronomical. And again, failure for them looks a lot different than failure for the average person. But yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if any of them end up surviving this. And that's why I actually think Tom Tom or Greg, the most unlikely person, is going to end up on top. Uh, But since it's HBO, there'll be maybe it'll be Kate. Isn't isn't that his girlfriend, his last girlfriend? Maybe maybe she'll end up. Since it's HBO, there'll there'll be a woman king. I hope. Now, look, I'm just enjoying the show. At, At the end of the day, I don't make predictions. I'm just an audience member, but. Brian Cox, I actually, after the show, started binging some of his interviews. And I have to tell you, he's a fascinating guy in real life. He really is. And he says something that resonates with me. And it's something that I believe in. He said, as an actor, I don't understand these younger guys who only do one big feature a year and call it a day. He says, to work on your craft and to be better at it, you have to consistently do it. And he has said that there are no big roles or small roles. There's only roles that are longer than others. So this is a man that has perfected his craft. And I'm just looking at other clips of what he's done, and I'm like, man, we missed out on this guy being a star for years. 
and it comes to an end. It's actually a very sad moment for me as a television audience member. Who's your favorite, and I'll let you go, who's your favorite all-time TV character? Wow. You, you know, okay, so Logan Roy would be in the Mount Rushmore. I would say the father from the original uh, Wonder Years, played by Dan Loria. I thought he was a everyday father from the 60s that grew up in that era, Mr. Arnold. There's just so much character and substance to that man. And just his facial expressions that he, he kind of like you can just see like that must have been a lot of fathers in those days in this changing times of society that he didn't like what was going on, but he still loved his family. And the man had character uh, when times were tough. There's something very admirable about that. And if you've ever had a father, you saw a lot of your own father um, in Mr. Arnold. So off the top of my head, I would say he's probably my favorite. And another one, and I know you and I must agree on this, Coach Ken Reeves. Ken Reeves. I mean, the, the man blows out his knee. His career with the Bulls comes to an end. And his old, his old teammate from Boston College, A. Reeves, you're a washed-up white guy. Come to this inner city. You'll be the only white guy. And all these young black kids are going to hate you but they'll learn to love you. And the thing I liked about Coach Reeves or Ken Howard, the guy could actually really play basketball. Outside of Coolidge, no one else could outplay him on Carver. And he could actually box. He actually boxed as a young amateur. And there was that one episode where Salami was getting into smokers because he wasn't getting along with his dad. So Coach Reeves had to be his trainer, and he starts hitting the heavy bag. And I'm like, wait a minute. Ken Reeves can actually fight. So that's a renaissance man. So I would say right there, those three make three of my four Mount Rushmore characters. I got to figure out the fourth. Holy cow. You don't mention Tony Soprano. Eh. You don't eh. mention uh, uh, Omar from The Wire or eh. Jimmy McNulty is actually my favorite character from The Wire. Uh, you don't mention. Did you ever see The Shield, Vic Mackey? I've seen some of The uh, Shield. Vic again, those, again, you're right. Or. Our characters will be based on the shows that we love. Now, I like The Wire. You're a Wire fanatic. So you're going to have a different yeah. viewpoint of what your favorite characters are. You know? All right. Thank you, Steve. Steve doesn't know what he's talking about. Thank you. Uh, you can't have a Mount Rushmore of all time to, without Tony Soprano. You, you can't. And... Prano. I'm big on Stringer Bell, too. The Wire is tough. There was a lot of good candidates. I, Jimmy McNulty, though, I saw myself in Jimmy McNulty. A screw-up and a pot stirrer. Real police. Anyway, good show. Great show. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Negotiation, my system, no relation We all just want to have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been alone I'm breaking my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving, all deceiving We all want to be free We want freedom